Welcome to the Cocktail Guru Podcast. A show about food, drink, and entertainment. With a tight focus on the good life. And all things delicious, luxurious, and fun. I'm Jonathan Pogash, bartender, author, and the host of Cocktails the Grand Tour. And I'm Jeffrey Pogash, wine and spirits professional, author, insatiable collector of culinary ephemera, and so people tell me, an engaging raconteur. And my dad. Dad, uh, you look great. You look great, Dad. It's good to see you. <laughs> Hi, John. How are you? I look great because I've dressed for our guest. I'm in my Dan Dunn shirt. Oh, yes. I, that, I, that's why I, I look see so it. Good. The people at home who are listening can't see it, but why don't you just describe it briefly? Well, it's a, a semi-tiki shirt. It has surfer dudes, palm trees, and beach jeeps all over it. It's the trifecta. And that's what I, when I think of Dan Dunn, I think of all of those things. Yeah, it's the trifecta of, of things that are um, reminiscent of Dan Dunn. Um, and right. I'm wearing I'm wearing my lemon shirt. Uh, so, uh, you know, people watching the video stream can see it, but obviously they can't see it uh, during the podcast. Uh, but um, what do you, uh, so um, I'd say it's whiskey weather out there. What do you think, Dad? Son. Every day is whiskey weather. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I get it. Uh, thanks. Well, I'm going to put a little bit of this uh, Journeyman Distillery Featherbone whiskey in my glass. Yes. And you've got you've and got a little bit of it in your glass too, right? It, it's a yeah. I've tasted it already. It's delicious. It's a lovely whiskey, a bourbon, and the history is quite interesting as well. Mm, it's from Michigan. It's good. Hold it, on. it is from Michigan. And Featherbone is the name of the the building in which they distill the bourbon. Because this is interesting, perhaps for Dan, the, fa- the, the factory was a leather factory originally, and it produced whips and corsets. <laughs> okay, right. so th- this is a great intro to Dan Dunn, because uh, whips and corsets are right up his alley. But seriously, guys, our podcast focuses on the good life, all things delicious, luxurious, and fun. Speaking of luxurious and fun, today's guest is Mr. Dan Dunn. This larger-than-life character is an author, podcast host, compulsive imbiber, and more importantly, an old pal. No, not the cocktail, but yes, the dear friend. We're pleased to have him on the Cocktail Guru podcast. Welcome, Dan Dunn. Welcome, guys. Thanks Hi. for having me. What a, what a, I don't know if I'm worthy of that intro, but I'll, oh, I'll take stop, it. Stop, stop. Thank it's, you for taking the time out of your schedule to be with us. Yes, I'm very we are, busy. We are busy. honored. And you know, honored. Dan, we begin each episode by asking our guests their favorite beverages. Um, more specifically, their stranded on a desert island uh, beverage. So what is your stranded on a desert island beverage? Does coffee count on that desert island? Do I get yes. to have a... Coffee in yeah. the morning. I mean, yeah, I, that's what I'm having now. It's funny, Jonathan, when you said it feels like Scotch weather. It does not feel like Scotch weather where I'm at. I'm in I'm in Venice Beach, and we're getting a little Indian summer today. Today's going to be one of the hottest days that we've had. So uh, I, I I'm a little sweaty today, but uh, so I'm having coffee tell. right now because it's early my time. But drinks. Let's see. I boy. Well, you know, I, I wrote a book called American Wino, so I love wine. But cocktail-wise, I 
really whatever you're putting in front of me. I, you know, I can tell you something that I did, had the other night that I was very happy that I drank. It wasn't a okay. cocktail, but I got a chance to try the Yamazaki 55-year-old, uh, which oh. was certainly in the top uh, five of the most expensive things I've ever had. It retails for $60,000 a bottle, but you're not getting oh, it for $60,000. In fact, my friend, uh, and I'm sure you guys know Brad Jaffe, Brad not Brad sent me a link to a bottle that they're selling on the secondary market right now for nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> so I got to drink some. I got to drink a little an eyedropper's worth the other night. I, they had a little uh, event here in Malibu, and I got to try that. So that's my favorite thing right now. Wow. Well, that you- sounds pretty good to me. Well, it, it, here's the thing about, about something like that. Well, people will ask me. In fact, I was I'll name drop here. I was sitting next to this guy, Daniel, who was on Lost and Hawaii Five O. He's an actor. And he and he was asking me some questions about when he found out what I do about spirits and whiskey in particular. Look, if you took that Yamazaki 15 or 55, excuse me. And you and and you were just blind tasting against, say, an eighteen-year-old whiskey or something like that. And money didn't matter. None of that prestige, rarity, none of it mattered. Not even blind tasting. But what would I prefer to drink? I'd probably go with the eighteen. That's kind of the sweet spot for me, mm-hmm. right? But what I love when I get it on those very rare occasions that I get to try something like the Yamazaki fifty-five, or I remember having Macallan sixty-four, is the experience of it which is I think about the fact that almost everybody that had anything to do with those barrels getting laid down in the first place is gone, right? They're not with us anymore. Yeah. But yet we're drinking this thing and through that, their spirits living on. It's like when I listen to music, you know, David Bowie is no longer with us, but he's all alive as ever. His music is alive as ever. And the thing about Bowie, you can listen to Bowie anytime you want all the time. That's the difference with an old spirit is – there's a finite amount of it, okay? They've released 100 bottles of that Yamazaki 55, and in all likelihood, I'm never going to have it again. I don't have, my friends aren't interesting enough to own a bottle like that. But so that was it. I got that little moment where I got to commune with the spirits, man. And I mean, not just the liquid spirits, but the spirits of the people right. that made it that are gone. And in all likelihood, Jonathan and I will never be able to taste that. So no, never. I'm sticking. I'm sticking with my journeyman bourbon. I mean, right you guys it's have lot, had lot, you, it's a lot less expensive and delicious. You've had some stuff though, right? Like, what's the craziest thing? I mean, you've tasted things that most people are never. That's a very good. Here. That's a very good question, and and it, um, I think Dad has probably tasted way more interesting stuff than than I have. So that's a good question, Dad. What's yeah. the most interesting thing you've tasted? Well, nothing in that price range. The most interesting thing, the, the most expensive items that I've tasted are cognacs that are a few thousand dollars a bottle. Well, but, but Jeff, not I was on a trip with you to cognac. Yes. And yes. if memory serves, we I'm trying to remember exactly what, what cognac house we were at, but we went down into the cellar. Mm, yes. And they were pulling some stuff out of old, what are they keeping that in? Like ceramic pots or something? You know, I yeah. don't know what they, yeah. they were pulling out some stuff that never it hasn't yet made it to bottle and may never i gotta suspect right. some of that stuff was 100 no. years old and if it's, they were to bottle it 
would be, you know, six yes. No, I agree with you. In some respects, those are priceless cognacs, absolutely. But we don't know how much they would actually cost if they were on the market. But why do they, they, keep, they would certainly why, be expensive. Why don't they buy? I mean, at the time that we did it, it certainly seemed like there wasn't a market for it like there is now. Mm. Now, anybody that it seems like anybody that has really, really old stock is going to do some sort of a special release because people can't seem to get it. They buy it. They sell well, it out. I, I think most often those extra special older casks are used to blend cognacs. So they blend them together with younger cognacs. Yeah. And they're, they're saving them for that purpose. Yeah. What about but you, John? You've had to a, have had, you've had to have had. Some. I mean, I, I probably went on a similar, I, I did a cognac trip um, with the BNIC uh, several years ago and they, we went to, we went to Hennessy and we were down in the, in the cellars and, and tasted some really old stuff. Um, so probably, probably very similar to what you're talking about, I'd say. Um, what about some old stash of Kenny, Kenny Chesney's blue chair Bay rum? <laughs> Did you have it? You know, yeah, I have some test versions of the rum. Uh, <laughs> tell everybody used to work, used to work with them. And that was fun, by the way, that was, a, I remember coming to see you at uh, the concert in Anaheim, I got invited. To, oh my goodness! Yeah, to go, to, go to the show. Kenny's people invited us, and you were there, and you were. You, they had a, quite a setup going on, but uh, no old stuff there. No old blue chair bay. It was it. No, it's too new. Uh, no old blue chair bay. Um, old is in the name of the the song, I think. Right, old blue chair. That's right. Um, relating to some blue chair. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was, that was an interesting experience. And that was, you know, I, I felt, I literally felt like a rock star, um, you know, when I was doing that, because I went on, this was a big tour. I went on three or four of these, these dates with him and they would bring me around in the golf cart going from one end to the stadium to the other. And, you know, I was VIP and then I, we were, we were heading up the VIP bar. Um, and then the after, the after uh, concert bar, which they called, um, uh, sock monkey for some reason, I don't know the reference, but he called his bar sock monkey. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, it was, uh, you know, especially when we were up in new England doing it, it was all the Patriots stars, uh, you know, coming up to us and getting drinks. And, uh, uh, it was, it was pretty awesome. I really felt like a rock star. <laughs> it was crazy. Well, speaking of feeling, I felt the same way. So my girlfriend at the time, huge Kenny Chesney fan. So we, we get to the show and we're hanging out with you backstage beforehand. And then they took us up and there was a, an area on top of the soundboard. So this is at Anaheim stadium. So the soundboards maybe 30 yards out right in the middle. And on top of that, they had a, like an observation deck. So right in front of the stage. Great. We go out there and we're watching and about halfway through the first song. And it's a song everybody loves. I don't, I didn't know what the song was. Uh, a PA comes up and taps. He says, Mr. Dunn, uh, come, come with me. And Jess, my girlfriend time says, wait, no, no. What do you mean? We're here. Like, these are great. I, I can see. I said, well, I don't, I don't think he's taking us somewhere worse, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and he walks us backstage yep. and we go on the stage. Like we're on the stage yeah. to the point where she stops. Kenny Chesney's about 15 feet behind her performing She's crying. She's so happy. <laughs> and then we get over to that. Remember the little area on the side, but the best is only in LA does this shit happen. You're uh, we're on the side and this big guy like bumps into me 
dance and he bumps him and he's like, oh sorry and i look up and it's vince vaughn oh my god oh my god <laughs> yeah. do you remember him being at that show i actually don't and, uh, i don't remember that yeah he was a nice guy man and we we ended up hanging there but uh blue chair bay rum it's still around right oh yeah still it, it's still around and it's still very very successful um and uh i i reach out to them every once in a while because i i want to feel like a rock star again you know i i i have that craving I, i'm like hey you know i'm here i'm around i can uh i can work the the vip bar if you want me to how's kenny doing <laughs> well that's one of the things that i I'm fortunate about with my show plug, what we're drinking with Dan Dunn, it's heavily sort of weighted towards the celebrity aspect of it. And as we know now, there's no shortage of celebrities getting into the booze game. In fact, I'd love to get your opinion on this. Is it possible to have one more celebrity tequila brand? Can can the universe sustain it or does it just collapse upon itself if one more celebrity gets in the... I can't believe how many celebrity. Honestly, I think we can have unlimited celebrities. <laughs> I just got one producing yeah. limitless tequila. I I'll, let's try I, an I experiment here. Plenty, I'll say of room. I'll say one, and then you fire back another one. We'll just keep going until we run out. All right. Uh, the Rock has a tequila. Yes. Who else? Oh, um, uh, the the guys from uh, Breaking Bad have a mezcal. They have a mezcal, dos hombres. Dos hombres. Yeah, I've had Brian Cranston on the show. Uh, Nick Jonas and John Barbados have Villa One tequila. Oh yeah, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Um, are, we're just talking about tequila. Yeah, we're gonna keep going until we run out of brands. How, who else? Um, I don't know who else. You you'll know more than. Oh I man, would. you're forgetting that you're forgetting the original oh, man, the guy oh, who I mean, really George, started. Yeah, George Clooney and. Uh, yeah. No, what? no, no! Oh, t- way before that. Uh, oh yeah, oh, the the guy, <laughs> Mark Margaritaville. He doesn't have a brand. He didn't have a brand. Sammy Sammy Hagar. Hagar. Sammy, yes, Sammy, Sammy Hagar. Hagar. Cabo Wabo Sammy, tequila Sammy Hagar. was kind of the first one. And the the hilarious part of that is when Sammy sold the brand. I think to uh, was it uh, Campari, whoever he sold it to. I remember it was such a big deal. It was like he sold it for a mil a uh, hundred thousand like one hundred and thirty thousand dollars or no not a hundred and thirty million dollars oh, hundred thirty million like that, right? right and everybody thought that was In- insane crazy you get that kind of money and then along comes Clooney and Gerber and they get a billion dollars for theirs can you believe that yeah. I mean that is just it just blows my mind man it, I, I'm like oh my god do you know how much money they put in each there's three of them I can't remember the other guy's name they put up $250,000 each to, to do this of their own money. And within four years, they'd sold the brand for a billion dollars. Now, that's a return on your investment. Pitbull has a uh, tequila. Oh, that's right. That's uh, right. Eva Longoria just launched a tequila. Yes. Uh, Dan Dunn. Uh, the one, the infamous one. Is Dan Dunn. No, it's, it's coming oh. soon. Yeah. No, the infamous one is uh, one of the Card- uh, what Kendall, not Kendall oh, Jenner. Yes, the, the younger one. Kylie yes. Jenner. That's right. And what, yeah, one of them has a 818 tequila. And she, and she had some sort of embarrassing moment uh, video on video. She had to post it on her well, she, TikTok or no, something. Or what was that? <laughs> yeah, she did. I mean, she's obviously not a tequila aficionado, but so what? You know, I, 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 people just love to attack. Not that I'm going to drink that tequila. I, I would think 
of the celebrity brand. I mean, I like Dos Hombres actually, the me- the mezcal, mm-hmm. yeah. and Casamigos is fine, right? Yeah, yeah, fine. I mean, yeah. Very good. You know, very good. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's fine. It's fine. It does the. Yeah. It does the trick. Jeff. Jeff has no idea what we're talking about. No, he's. But he's I, like, I, I, I do know, know that. Do you know who I, Jeff? Do you know who Pitbull is? Yes, I do. You you and know I know exactly is. what you're talking about. Yes. Okay, Dad, I love right? tequila. Hey, Dad. It's my one of my favorites. Yes. Um, uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Dan's child, yeah, I, Dan's childhood. I wanted to talk. I wanted Oprah. We're gonna have an Oprah moment here. I wanted to talk about less frivolous things. Some. Sorry. In By the way, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm just like I'm taking over your show. In, it's in, the podcaster in me. I'm like, yeah, I'll talk about what I want to talk about. No, about go ahead. In depth psychological studies of Dan Dunn. Okay. And I think that what I was going to say is your history really goes back a long way to the age of seven. Not that long. How old do you think I am? Yes. To the age of seven when you were living in Philadelphia. And your imbiber character started back then at P&J's Tavern. Correct? That's right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it depends on it all perspective, whether that was tragic or, uh, or fortuitous. My yeah, my dad, uh, my parents split when I was very young and my dad liked to drink. He doesn't like to drink anymore, but back then he did. And he would take me to the bar, the corner bar. We grew right. up poor in Philly and we would go there. And my dad was young, you know, I mean, so single guy he was going there and and i basically kind of got you know i'd get like a hand he'd hand me like a pocket full of quarters and or dimes whatever it was back then and go play the pinball machine and do whatever but there was a guy there named tall paul who owned the bar and he sort of took me under his wing and he would take me behind the bar and he would show me how a drink got made and every once in a while he'd let me pretend you know i'd make one and I put it, you know, it'd be something like, you know, just be made. When I say make a drink, it was like crown Royal on the rocks, but I would pour it and then slide it in front of the customer and they'd give me a little tip. And I kind of fell in love with bars back then. I was like, wow, this is a cool air. This is a cool spot. And little did I know it laid the foundation for what would become a uh, part of my career. Living loaded. Living loaded. It's in my book, living loaded. That's right. Which I happen to have right here. And, and by I, the way, as do I, I, wow. I, I cannot, I cannot stop laughing. I, this is my second reading of the book. I read it when it first came out. I was sitting on my couch, just cracking up, could not stop laughing. It's one of the funniest, most interesting oh, books well, I have you. ever thank read. Well, what, 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 I love, what I love about the Dan Dunn books is that it's, uh, it's, it's all you and, you know, and you can imagine just being next to you having these words come out of your mouth, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's you reading. Yes. Reading the books is like being with Dan. Yeah. That's what it's like. I, I honestly couldn't tell you what I actually pulled it out because you said you were going to talk about it. And I realized like, I don't think I've looked at this book in 10 years, oh, really? <laughs> but well. it's, yeah, it's, it's fun. I mean, it's good. It's fine. I, you know, I think anytime you do stuff, you, you feel yeah. like you progressively get better. So right. my my most recent book, American Wino, in my opinion, is a much better book than Living Loaded, and probably because Wino is way more personal 
in terms of the subject matters, my, you know, my, my younger brother died and, and American Wine knows about a trip that I took around the country. The Philadelphia Inquirer uh, described it as eat, pray, love meets sideways while on the road. <laughs> and uh, so I probably the subject matter was more personal than Living Loaded was more just about being funny and, and working in some, some spirit stuff. But yeah, thank you for that. I, I mean, it, it is a fun. I look. I was flipping through it before I came on. I was like, oh, there's some funny stuff. In now there. you should reread Living Loaded. Yeah, I suggest you do that. We, we suggest you, you read you your will, book. It, it, do people it, it, read their own books? It, it, do they will, read yeah. their own? No. They, they, Here's. Usually, let me give you. Let me. Yeah, I know. I usually I've written, don't. I've written four. I've written four. I've published four. Right. I mean, and the last thing in the world I'm going to do is read them because I, I write in a very tedious manner, at least in terms of books. So I'll write a paragraph and then I read it and I'm sort of editing as I go. Then I write the next paragraph and then I read both of those. Then the next one. And then I read all three of those. It's, it's very, I, I'm not the sort of person that can let loose and just start writing it for books, for other things I can't, you know, magazine pieces, things, but for books, I I'm editing as I go. So by the time I get to the end, I've read that book, uh, thousands of times. So I don't ever want to read it again, except at the re I mean, at the readings that you do when you go on a book tour, that part is great. I love that, yeah. you know, to hear it out loud and to see people react to it in real time being read out loud is, is fun. But other than that, thank and, you, and that. you know, there's also nobody likes a quitter, uh, which was one of your books too. And I keep this um, near and dear to me because I'm in it. Well, I'm also in living loaded, but um there's there's a story behind uh, you including me in in this book right and that's kind of where we uh um started our we began our relationship I think a little bit no idea <laughs> what's in what did I oh he has no idea he doesn't, he doesn't remember he doesn't remember no well we were I remember whether Lo you would remember or not well I remember living loaded so what I did in living loaded I had this idea that I would that the beginning of every chapter right I asked bartender friends of mine if they would create a drink to quote pair with that chapter. And uh, Jonathan was, was gracious enough to do that. Right. Isn't that what you did? Didn't you do a drink for me yes. in the book? Yes. yes the I Freudian did. flip. The, the Freudian, Freudian That's flip. right. And he wrote up a little, a little uh, backstory to it. And, and it was great. I mean, it was you and man, I look back, I go, so uh, uh, Dale DeGroff, uh, everybody, Aisha Sharp, Jeff, uh, I mean, uh, Jeffrey Morgenthau, there were so many great bartenders yeah. that contributed H. Uh, yeah. The, yeah, I got real. That was really sweet of everybody to do. And, you know, that's something that I would love to do someday. And in fact, I'm getting the idea right now is maybe do a pocket. I'd like to try all those drinks again. You know, just have a party right. and have all those drinks. Oh, yeah. you know, great, did idea. It. great idea. Yeah. Yeah. That would be awesome. And we all. And do you remember the book launch? I don't know if you remember that or not, but it was with Albert Tremor at Theater Bar. Oh my! Yeah, remember that's that? right. I it was remember a massive it thing. New York. I, it. I uh, love. Yeah, it was in New oh, York. Oh, and they it had fantastic. they had people. They had like Cirque du Soleil performers, yes. and yes. it was yes. a couple hundred people. There. It was a giant party. Oh yeah, yeah. It was it yeah. was packed, packed. That was funny. With, yeah, I, that was one of the most fun book signings I think I've ever had. I mean, the ones that jump out, I mean, I love doing book soup out here in LA because it's such an iconic place. And then I did this, the strand for living loaded or not living. What's the other one? American, American Wino. Wino. 
we did it at the Strand in the rare book room mm. upstairs, and that was really great too. That's the fun part. The writing part of it uh, kind of sucks. Yeah, that's the yeah. tedious part. But I want to go back to something Jonathan said. He said that the books you write are all about you. And that's exactly the point. That's the point of what you do, yeah. I think. Forgive me for putting words in your mouth, but can we say, based on your past experience which and your influence, which we will get to in a minute, that you are a gonzo journalist? <laughs> like how you tee that up there, Jim. Look, when I was young, as I alluded to, I had my childhood was problematic, I would say. And there's a lot of ways you can go, right? When you've, my mother is bipolar. My dad was an alcoholic. I, we were poor. They split up. It was not pleasant. And so you can, that can, you've got all this angst, right? You've got all this shit going on that you're trying to deal with. And sometimes kids deal with it by becoming delinquents. And and, and I was certainly, there was an element of that to my life as well. But the way that I dealt with it was I would, I early on in my life, I would write little fantasy books, you know, and always be the hero is like this young guy who's set upon by the world and he's, he's got a battle. And it was me, you know, but it would be fantasy to be set in some mythical world somewhere. And then as I got older, I remember saying before I, I, I took up writing, but really it was like, I took up uh, bitching and I just started writing it down, you know, and then, and it was, and the humor part of it, which, you know, I'm not telling anything you don't know before. I mean, if you think about the great, a lot of the great comedians had really shitty childhoods and you either, you either let it devour you or you laugh at it and, and then let it, and then, and then you discover that not only can you laugh at it, but you can make other people. I think that's what it does. It's, it's almost like a way of, if you think about it, like making a spirit, right? You take a starch and then you take that starch and through a variety of processes, including fermentation, distillation, it becomes something else, right? So with me, it was like I took this pain and through the process of writing and, and it, it becomes something else. It becomes something useful. It becomes, you know, what's a, who cares about a potato, right? But, but you know, I mean, we do, but that potato becomes a, a you know, vodka, or the, you know, the wheat becomes it. And that was what it is. If you can turn that pain and convert it into entertainment, really, that's that's what it was. It's taking. I mean, it, I don't know what it did for me, but everybody else seemed to enjoy it. Yeah. And, and hasn't your, I'm still all screwed up, but yeah. Well, well, yeah. join the club, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> isn't your writing greatly influenced by Hunter S. Thompson? Um, he was certainly. I mean, I, I was fortunate to know Hunter for years and work with him a little bit. Uh, I mean, when I, I help, help, I guess, with some various projects that he was on and sure, a huge, huge influence in my life. I never, I, I remember reading fear and loathing in Las Vegas and hell's angels and all that when I was young college. And then through a, just a weird set of coincidences and other sort of, I ended up in Aspen, Colorado, which I'd never heard of it. I didn't know anybody that ever been to Aspen. Again, I grew up poor in Philly. I didn't, I knew nothing of it. I just knew that there were rich people in Aspen. And then one day I wound up there. And then not too long after that, I wound up in sitting in Hunter S. Thompson's kitchen and we became friends and it sure played a big 
role, a big part of it was trying to find my own voice because, you know, the, the temptation is to try to copy him and you can't do that. He's, I couldn't possibly, you know, uh, do that, but, but you can certainly draw from people. I'll give you an example. One of the things Hunter did when he was a young man, a teenager, he used to take books, you know, as I lay dying Faulkner, you know, or, or, or Hemingway or Fitzgerald, and he would retype them. Hmm. He would open the book and he would just type the book out because he wanted to get that rhythm of what it felt like to write a great book. So he would take a book that already existed and he would just start retyping it to get, you know, to get the rhythm. And that I think is, is a great lesson that I took from Hunter. And it's what I tell any young writer that I encounter is read everything you can devour everything, the best stuff you can, and then let it inform your own writing in little ways. Don't try to be, I love Tom Robbins. I can't be Tom Robbins. That would be, I would, it would be a, Fucking! Can I curse on the show? I've been. I already have been. Right? You've already done it. Uh, it would be a disaster for me to try to copy Tom Robbins because I'm not Tom Robbins and I'm not as good as Tom Robbins at that. At least in that uh, that sort of style of writing. But there there are parts of Tom Robbins that I see. If I go back, not that I go back, but if I were to go back, I'm sure I would see little things where I go, "Oh, I must have been reading uh, Still Life with Woodpecker when I wrote that," <laughs> or I was reading you know, uh, the old man in the sea when I wrote that, or you know, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that I see sometimes. When I, yeah. Yeah. Well, I find similarities between fear and loathing in Las Vegas and some of your writing as well. I wish there were similarities in how much money <laughs> I made, <laughs> how many copies we sold. Although I guess I can say this now because yes, yeah, so, you know, when Hunter got divorced from his first wife, Sandy, he had yet to, he was, he'd already, published he was either fear or loathing was just coming out or just but it wasn't a phenomenon and he wasn't you know the, the world famous hunter s thompson yet and in the divorce settlement he they had a place in woody creek you know outside of aspen he took the house and he gave her all the uh royalties for this book that was coming out thinking you know what the hell how much could it be oh my god <laughs> he never saw a dime wow. From wow. from the book sales, he made money. He made money off the movie, the films, but all of the all of the royalties from the book go went to Sandy, his wow. wife. Wow! Imagine that. That is <laughs> I, I can't believe that. The lesson here: don't get married. Yeah, well, you guys, <laughs> that's you, you, guys, you guys have been married. You both we're married, married, right? Yes. For, Not, I mean, for, we're, for, yes. Forty three years for me. Yeah. Yes. I haven't gotten there yet. Yes, yeah. it'll be. Uh, you're, you're, you're not old enough. You're a youngster. In fact, 43 is my cutoff age. I won't date anybody <laughs> over that. I'm kidding. I'm totally joking. It's way younger than that. Um, um, well, uh, there's there's always so much more to talk about and so much more that we can talk about. Um, but uh, we'll we'll just have to have you on again. Um, so that we can hear Absolutely. some some interesting. I feel like stories. I hijacked your show. The first half no, of the show is me talking no, about celebrity tequila brands. I apologize. It's, it's basically your to, show uh, now. It's basically uh, a, a, Dan, a Dan Dan Don production. But it's but it's you, Dan. It's you. We want you. It's you. We to want come it. through in this. Yeah. And it can did. you send me Carrie's email? I want to. Talk to her about taking over the show. Yes, it carries, it carries our producer. Yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we will I, we will put you guys I in touch. And uh, the next episode, we'll have Dan as the host. 
Um, well, I would love to have you guys on what we're drinking sometime <laughs> as well. Are we? Wait, but we're not. A, we're not celebrities. Yes. You can do. We can do like a three or four minute segment with you. Okay, oh, maybe okay. three. Three right. minutes. Two and a half. <laughs> Two to three minutes. It keeps going down and down. Just, I think that's just enough of you guys All right. for my I, podcast. Yeah. Two to th- I'm no kidding. You can come on for hours. We'll talk. I miss. I miss you both, man. I haven't seen you guys. You, you we're living in COVID time, and you forget. I just. I have not seen you. Uh, Jeff, I haven't seen you in I know. way too long. I know. And and Jonathan, it's been several years, right? I yep. think since we last saw each other. Yeah. I'm hoping, put this file this way. I'm almost positive I'm going to be doing my show, a live recording in New York City at the Stand Comedy Club. We just did one this summer. It was great. Sold it out. Amazing. We're going to do another one, I think, on November 10th at the Stand oh. in New York City. And you guys will both be invited to that. Thank you. Uh, and oh, I'd love cool. to see you there. Well, I, I, I don't I know for sure this, if that's the, this, the, timing, the timing could work out because this episode might air right around that time. Uh, so that would be, oh, that would be cool. And, um, wow. and every time, every time I miss you, Dan, which is quite often, mm-hmm. I go back to living loaded and I read the dedication that you wrote to me in that book. Wait, did, where did I put you? You wrote me there? a dedication, which was incredible. Oh, I wrote something personally. Right. Yes, you did. Yeah, not the, uh, not printed in the book, but you wrote it by hand during the book launch. And I am I'll li- I'll leave you with this from a great book or mediocre book. All right. Here we go. Should I leave you with yeah, this? Let's go. I gave yes. my in in the end of Living Loaded, I I did a little thing called How to Live a Long and Loaded Life, and I gave eight pointers to this, including like pity is a waste. Self debt pity doubly so. Have a glass of wine for Christ's sakes. Know your limits. Fuck your limits. <laughs> Fuck everyone. Find love and never overstay your welcome is number eight. So, with that, I'll say so, as you probably noticed, we're just a short way away from the very, very end of this book. So, I kind of have to go. And as you may have gathered by now, I'm not all that good at ending things. If I could wrap things up with this book by not calling it back, I'd be on familiar ground, but I'm told that won't work in this case. I drink for a living. I wrote a book about it. It's pretty simple. So we'll close simply with a story, a drinking story. This guy is at home in bed with his wife and he hears a rat-tat-tat on the door. He looks at the clock on his nightstand. It's half past three in the morning. And he thinks, I'm not getting out of bed at this hour and rolls over. A minute later, he hears a louder knock. You gonna answer that, his wife asks groggily. Pissed off and exhausted, he drags himself out of bed, throws on his bathrobe and trudges downstairs. When he opens the door, he sees a man standing on the other side. The guy's clearly drunk. Hi there, slurs the stranger. Can you give me a push? Are you fucking kidding me, asshole? It's half past three. I was in bed. Now get lost before I call the cops. He slams the door and heads back upstairs. When he tells his wife what happened, she's shocked. Greg, that wasn't very nice of you. Remember that night we broke down in the pouring rain on the way to pick up the kids from the babysitter and did the knock on that man's door to get us started again? What would have happened if he told us to get lost? But the guy is wasted, the husband protests. It doesn't matter, she says. He needs our help, and the Christian thing to do is to help him. Chasen, the husband, reluctantly climbs out of bed again, gets dressed, and heads downstairs. He opens the front door, but he can't see the stranger anywhere, so he shouts, Hey, man, do you still want to push? From somewhere in the distance, he hears a voice cry out, Yeah, please, that would be great. Still unable to to locate the stranger, he shouts, Where are you? And the stranger replies, I'm over here, on your swing. 
<laughs> I'd like to think that I'm basically that guy out in your yard, drunk, looking for kicks at three oh in the morning. God. Give me a push and I promise not to piss on your begonias. <laughs> so there we go. That's hilarious. Now you don't even have to read the book. You know how it ends. Dan Dunn, you are an American classic. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and an icon. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, guys. It was a real pleasure uh, being on the show and good luck with the show. And, and I can't wait to see you in person. Thank you very Thank much. You. We'll see you soon. Same here. Thanks so much. That does it for today's show. To learn more about future guests, visit thecocktailguru.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. The Cocktail Guru podcast is produced by First Real Entertainment and distributed by Eats Drinks TV, a service of the Center for Culinary Culture, home of the Cocktail Collection, and is available via Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google, and wherever fine podcasts can be heard.